TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Hi, TYB On The Run. Well, welcome to Luke 3. This is the incredible moment where we've we've gone through Luke 1 and 2. We've done the birth of Jesus. We've done the Jesus presented in the temple. And we're now in Luke 3, John the Baptist prepares the way. Um, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of, of Euteria, and Trachontius, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cyphus, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this, this to them. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mahat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsley, the son of Nagai, the son of Maith, the son of Matthias, the son of Saman, the son of Josak, Jodah, the son of Joanan, Risa. And it goes on and on and on. I'm going to continue, go back to the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehalah, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> 
And even though I didn't read all of that genealogy, you get the gist because there's a lot of names in there I can't pronounce. But this incredible moment where we've come from Luke 1 and 2. Doesn't it feel like so concentrated, this, this gospel? The other gospels, Mark is action-packed. Matthew is, is, is very teaching. And, um, but John is very, very kind of creative, but Luke feels dense. When you read it, there is so much in every chapter. And as we've come out of the birth of John the Baptist, again, we're looking at a, a, a Greek history, history text. So we're kind of watching this hero grow up and we're, we're kind of having a look at who he is and what he's doing, the birth of Jesus. We've had a look at his mum. We've had a look at his cousins and we kind of meet this, this Luke three connective moment where John the Baptist is grown up. He was the one in Elizabeth's womb that, that stirred when he, when he felt the Messiah come near him, which is so amazing. And we have this beautiful moment where in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, now guys, TYB, I know when you read stuff like that and you probably switched off when I started reading Pontius Pilate, Governor Herod, Tetrarch in Galilee, you're all like, I don't really care about those guys. But what that is doing is is very significant okay historical historically when a text dates it by a roman or a, a roman um caesar when he dates it by pilot governor and he doesn't date it even though there's a mix here because he does talk about who who is the high priest but he actually dates his text according to the caesars which means that his audience is greek Okay, so we're looking for the intention of the author. Why would he use Tiberius Caesar? The other thing about these dates is we can have a look at what's happening from a history perspective with Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate as governor, Herod of Galilee. Now, we know Herod was significantly violent and the the lineage of Herod. We know that we have the Herod that killed the young boys when Jesus was was born, uh, very much a parallel of Moses and Pharaoh. Can you see these New Testament texts coming through to the Old Testament? We're going to have a chat about that, especially in Luke 3 and Luke 4. Um, we, we kind of go through these. And now what you do with these is you can dismiss them. That's fine if you're not a history buff. Me, the history buff, goes, I want to know what's happening in that time. Why did Jesus choose this time? Why was this moment? Why did he wait 30 years? Why didn't he wait 20 years? Why, why did he have to wait 30 years? And this was the moment of three years ministry that was going to change the world. And when you look at history, when you look at Herod, you look at the violence of Rome at this time and one comes out of the wilderness, John the Baptist, and this is prophesied. He comes out of the wilderness to prophesy. Now, John the Baptist, we, we met John the Baptist back in, back in the kind of beginning but now we have this John the Baptist that's a little bit more mature because we know that 30 years has come on. That's why the date. Now it's really hard for us because unfortunately we go, who is who is this date? But I know from having a look at this in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, we can look and um, it says a little bit later, it's been about 30 years. The boy Jesus at the temple is about 12. So we are, we are getting him to the age of 30. So we're about 18 years after that 12 12 years and we don't have anything. It's kind of like we, we don't know how Jesus grew up. We don't know what that looked like with his family. We don't know what that looked like with James and his brothers and his sisters. What did that life look like? The Bible isn't isn't really um, affected by that. The Bible doesn't tell us what he looked like or what his life was like. It's kind of like the silent years of development until we get to this moment and we have John the Baptist 
preparing the way. Now, I'm just going to jump back to Isaiah 40 because he starts saying these things about Isaiah 40, and I want to make sure this this is what my brain does. So let's keep going. Um, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, we know Zechariah. We know that he's the one that went, that was the priest that had the angel of the Lord tell him he's about to have a son. We know we've heard all of this incredible moment. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I love this because can I say in the church today, we want the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We want the salvation of Christ. We want to do great things for Christ, but the foundation of the very life of Christ had to be prepared with repentance, which is a kind of the R word of Christianity. Oh, repentance. No, we don't need to repent. Again and again and again, even in the life of Christ, even in this New Testament text, repentance is the door to which everything happens. And again, guys, in our lives, repentance is the door to which we walk through into the infilling of the Holy Spirit and everything that God has for us. And sometimes what happens is this. You can get stuck in the John the Baptist repentance. And I'm going to kind of talk about that in this this podcast. Some of us get stuck in the door of repentance, repentance, repentance. Oh, I'm nothing. Oh, I'm a worm. And you forget to walk through because even John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. I'm just a door so that the Messiah can come. Some of you are so stuck in that 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 cycle of I'm nothing and I'm repentant. Somebody said this to me when I was young, and I think it was Pastor Phil Pringle when he was preaching. He said, repentance is a door for you to walk through and live the rest of your life. You've got to keep coming back to that door and repenting and you know, some days, but don't stay in that place of condemnation and repentance. Repent and get on with it, basically is what Pastor Phil Pringle said. He said, don't stay in that place of shame under that door. Don't stay in that place of condemnation. So the first thing in this podcast I want to talk to you about is repentance is so important as a foundation for the life of Christ. John the Baptist prepared the ministry of Christ in the way of repentance. Amazing. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, now a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. I love this. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. All the people will see God's salvation. I love the fact that Luke kind of establishes Christ's coming into the world because at this stage we only have Jesus as a boy and now we've jumped to John the Baptist. And he says this moment where he's like, this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And if we jump back to Isaiah 43 to 5, It's this very moment, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He is basically, and it's every valley, it's exact replica of what this text is saying. He jumps back to Isaiah because he is saying this. He's saying what is about to happen is has been prophesied long ago. This isn't a new wave. This isn't a new fad. This was in the heart of God way back when Isaiah, in the in the beginning, in Genesis 3.15, this was in the heart of God what is about to happen. So if you're reading this as a Greek history uh, text or if you're reading this as a Greco-Roman person, you can see that this hero has roots. <laughs> This hero hasn't just come out of nowhere, decided to be the hero. This hero has been prophesied for a long time, and that's the point of this. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, I love John the Baptist. Oh, my gosh, I don't think he would have any 
in our pulpits today, I don't think he would be preaching. He's way too harsh, not encouragement, uh, comfort on here. He is just straight to the point. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You can hear this sound. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I love this, guys. Repentance produces fruit. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Can you hear who he's talking to? He's talking to the Jews and he's saying, you brood of vipers who warned you to come here and repent. It's quite amazing. It's like Jonah saying, I don't want them to be saved. He's saying, how dare you come down? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Can I say to you guys, as I studied the Old Testament, the key mistake of Israel throughout the whole thing is their lack of repentance. Every prophet says to them, repent, repent, turn to God. The key to being remaining in the will of God for the Israelites was just to repent and they wouldn't. It was their arrogance. It was their lack of repentance. It was their, no, I'm fine. It was their pride. Prophet after prophet after prophet says, if you do not repent, God will have to do this. If you do not repent. It astounds me time and time again, as I'm studying the Old Testament, how many times All they had to do was just repent and it would turn around. And their arrogance and their their pride and their, I'm I'm good. I'm actually, no, I'm not going to repent. The heartbreaking thing, guys, is when we start to stand on our own feet and say, no, I don't need to repent. That is the sin of Israel, which is the heartbreaking moment. So he is saying, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, which is what their confidence was in. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He's saying, don't be arrogant just because you think your father is Abraham. Some of us are arrogant in things of the world. And some of us are arrogant. Father, Abraham was a godly thing. But now he's saying your heart has to be soft. The thing about King David was he had a beautiful repentant heart. And he sinned. Bathsheba, oh my gosh, killed Bathsheba's husband, all the stuff that he did wrong. The key to David's heart was repentance. The key to Saul's pride and arrogance. Can you see? Every time somebody repents in the Old Testament, God comes in and moves again. Every time there's proud, arrogant heart, this stiff heart, um, uncircumcised heart, the New Testament calls it, we, we have this issue. And John the Baptist prepares this. He says, your heart has to be soft before God. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying you have to produce fruit that comes from repentance. You have to produce fruit. What does repentance do? It it bends your knee to God. It softens your heart again. It softens. You know, Pharaoh, when it says God hardened his heart, we all get up in arms and how dare is known it. Just it, it, that's, that's a way of saying that his heart was arrogant. That's a way of saying that that he had an unrepentant heart. And here we have this moment where John the Baptist is preparing the ministry of Christ upon repentance, and it's quite amazing. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Oh, man. And anyone who has food should do the same. This TYB blows my brain. What should we do then where he says repent? Yes, we're repented. There's got to be actions after you're repentant. And do you know what? It doesn't say go to church. It doesn't say preach. It doesn't say, oh, make sure you attend Bible study every week. Or it doesn't say the things that we think it should say. It says anyone who has two shirts should share with one. Your repentance leads to salvation. Your salvation has to have legs on it. He's saying that moment of repentance 
in, introduces salvation to your heart. But he's saying, what do we do then? He's saying, go and do something with it. Go and share this. He says, anyone who has food should do the same. I love the fact that even from the beginning, the gospel message is for the others. It's not just about you who we're saved and we're going to remain. No, we have to go and do something with this. We have to go and, like he says, share our wealth with somebody, share our food. And he's not just talking about go and preach. He says, go and meet practical needs. Oh, don't get me started on that. Okay. I love this moment where next it says, even tax collectors came to be baptized. (laughs) Basically, Luke is saying, even the worst of the worst came to be baptized. I kind of think what would be our even? That, that came into our churches today. Even that sort of a person came into our church. I love that moment where he says this revival of repentance, this what John the Baptist was doing, because Jesus hasn't arrived on the scene yet. This started the really plowing the soil, getting the soil ready for Christ, repentance and turning this hard soil into soil that was soft enough for the gospel. And our job here, I love this moment where he says, even tax collectors, when you prepare the soil of the church with repentance, and I'm not just talking about, you know, beating yourselves up all the time. No, repentance is a door, guys. Remember, it's not about beating yourself up. It's it's repenting, forgiving, opening, softening your heart to God. God can use that to change the nations and everyone around you. Don't collect any more. So he says, the tax collectors say, what can we do? And he says, okay, don't collect any more than what's required. Soldiers came in and said, what do we do? And he says, don't extort, um, extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Can you see your salvation has actions? I love this. The people were waiting expectantly. We're all wondering, is this the Messiah? We know that the Israelites are waiting for the Messiah at this point. And because John the Baptist has this pinnacle repentance and this incredible message. They're like, is this him? John answered, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. This is very Old Testament language here, guys. But he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. He's saying, guys, get on the right team. His winnowing fork is is separating the good from the bad. So be, be on the good. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. When John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them and he locked John up in prison. Now, we have in other gospel accounts kind of this moment of, of John being put in prison midway through the story. These guys, Luke kind of puts it in one section and says, let me just tell you what happens to John much later. Um, it doesn't actually happen at this point in the story. It happens much later, but that's okay. Um, Luke's kind of putting it in there. Okay, when all these people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized. Oh, my gosh, how important is baptism? I loved when I was 16, I got baptized. I remember when I was 12, um, my my. I got um, christened in the um, Uniting Church and I just thought that was the best thing I had ever done because I was old enough to understand it. And I was so excited. And when I was 16, I remember the moment of getting water baptized. It was a really rough day at Terrigal. We were in the surf. The days where baptisms were held on the beach, I remember looking around and all the cool kids were there surfing and hanging out at Terrigal. And I remember walking down to the surf pool and it was the walk of 
am I in this? Because everybody was looking at these weirdos getting baptized on the Terrigal Beach and I I had a choice. Am I going to hang out with these weirdos (laughs) or am I going to make my stake for Christ? And I remember being so proud of walking down and getting water baptized and it was a baptism into this community. It was a baptism into Christ. I remember going under that water and feeling so empowered that this is where I belong. Death to old self baptized and empowered into a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I love my baptism. So if you're not water baptized, go and get water baptized. It is amazing. As he was preparing, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son. Oh, I love this. Can I say, we are about to hit Luke 4. Funny that, we're in Luke 3. And we are about to hit the point where Satan questions Jesus' identity. He says, if you are the son of God, now that identity and and Jesus stays and remains and he's like, I know who I am. The only reason that he knows who he is is because he has a relationship with the father. Because at this point, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the dove, the Trinity, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all in this one moment, this beautiful three-in-one moment, the Father proclaims the identity of Christ over him. And he says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Can I say in Luke 4, when he goes into the wilderness, Satan tries to question that identity. You have to know who you are so that when you get tempted, you can stand strong in the day of temptation. You have to know that you are a daughter or a son of the Most High. You have to know you ha- who you are in Christ, and that is by reading your Bible. So don't get me started on that. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And then we have this, he was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. I love this, so it was thought, <laughs> because technically he's not the son of Joseph. When you think about it, Luke Luke kind of goes, so it was thought because he he was Mary and then, you know, the son of God. So it's kind of this moment where he's like, so it was thought. I love this kind of extra bit. And then we have this, this genealogy. Genealogies are really important, guys. Don't skip over them. Can I just go back one? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. This one man is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is about to go into the wilderness. You've got to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be full of the Holy Spirit for what God wants you to do on a daily basis. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just one in filling. It is being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. And this moment where even Jesus himself had to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the genealogy, Luke's genealogy goes all the way to Adam. Matthew's genealogy just goes back to Abraham because he's showing how the Messiah, he's showing the Jewish link. But Luke is a Greco-Roman text. So it's going to go all the way back to Adam saying, this guy is the son of God. (laughs) And again, proof and genealogy, because we are just about to jump into Luke 4 where Satan questions everything that we have just established in Luke 3. Are you um, the son of God? Are you this? Do you have the authority? Do Do you want this? And Christ has to know all of these things that happened in Luke 3 before he gets into Luke 4. So I can't wait to see. I'll see you in the next podcast in Luke 4.